Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 78 of The Winning Agenda. Host Brian Holland here, and I'm about to pass it on back again to Wilfie Horrig, who has been outnumbered by the Yanks again this week. Wilfie and Hollis in conversation with the incomparable Abram Jopp, talking once again about Dumblefork. So please stay tuned. If you haven't listened to episode 77 from last week, I highly recommend you do, as a lot of the topic carries on from what was discussed. So without further ado, I pass it on to Wilfie Horrig. Yeah, so I guess on the flip side of that, it's in addition to this Blue Sun deck, how, not necessarily what things are good against Dumblefork, but how do you play against Dumblefork in your decks, regardless of what they are, so that you can be strong against them. Like, as a corollary, I've been working on this Polana Foodsy Jinteki control deck that I talked about briefly last episode, and I found that games where they have Wildside Chronotype early are basically impossible to win, even though you can win the games where they don't have them early by controlling their resources and trying to keep them low and everything. But, like, the games where they have them early, they just flood ahead of you by turn 5 to 8, and eventually you just can't do anything. So I suppose, obviously, those games are going to happen some percentage of the time. How would you deal with the possibility that that might just happen? If you're a deck that's going to be weak to that kind of thing, would you say you have to try and find some way to kill the wild side? Or would you say that there's some other way in which you can deal with those two cards early before they spiral out of control? There's definitely things you can do. If you're playing a, like you said, a like control corp deck or a deck that wants to react to what the runner's doing. Uh, and let's say you're not killing the wild side, because that's kind of like a narrow solution, although it's something that you can do. You want to... It's difficult to explain. You want to use click compression, basically. Make it so that they can't unravel your board state before your board state wins you the game. I've told people that uh, it's kind of like you're jumping out of a burning building. Like, <laughs> you're not ever going to put out the fire, but you just have to, I don't know, get the money out of the vault and jump out the window before it burns down. <laughs> Big thing is when you're playing, like, let's say a Caprice deck, like RP or Polana Foods, you don't want to f- get forced to res your remote ice before you're going to rapidly win the game. You want it to be that you res your remote ice, and then you're going to score seven points as quickly as possible after that happens. Because once your remote server is gone, the game is over, usually, if they can blow all of that stuff up. And so you want to construct your remote server in this way that I talked about, where you have an ice that they like don't want to break multiple times, protected by other ice that you don't res until they play their cutlery event. You don't want them to be able to play a cutlery event, destroy the outermost ice, and then jack out. That's like pretty much always bad for you, because they can do that every turn until you're out of ice. You want them to be have to play it blind through an unresed piece of ice onto the piece of ice they really want to kill, and this is why I think this whole rainbow thing, a lot of people thought, oh, rainbow is the counter to this deck, because I can flip my rainbow, and it will protect any of my ice, and they'll have to kill the rainbow. Except then your rainbow dies, and then they just play the color event for the next ice and kill that. (laughs) So the solution is you want, like, you've got your nasty sentry, and then you've got your Eli in front of it that you don't res until they play their forked. And then you make them pay three extra cards to kill the thing behind it, you're kind of increasing the strength of your ice um, in that way. 
so that your remote lasts long enough that you can get your points out and get out of the game. I've often told people that against this deck, Corporate Sales Team is an even better agenda to score than Nisei Mark II, because they only steal the agenda out of your remote when all the ice is gone. <laughs> and that's the Mark II counter doesn't help you then. But the Corporate Sales Team like gives you money to keep like putting unresed ice in front of your remote, to keep taxing them extra cards. Because um, you can't tax their volume of cards, but you can put them in situations where they have to discard cards that they need to make their other cards work. Like, they have to discard a Parasite to make to fire their Forked. I know the easiest games to win as the Cutlery deck is when people let you slow Parasite their stuff early game. Try not to let that happen. <laughs> like, or at least don't let a hole from an early game slow parasite develop that then they use to unravel your whole board. So for a while, I thought, like, this kind of inspired me to try Harmony Medtech, and the deck actually ended up not being very good. Because I thought, well, if what I'm trying to do is win out of my remote server in the fewest number of possible turns, uh, maybe this, like, score two agendas thing is pretty good. And it was pretty good against this deck, it was just pretty bad against everything else. Yeah, I tried it for a little bit, and just, like, your cards, you just, one, you have to draw your cards in the right order to yeah, even have a functional yeah. deck, because you have, like, ex- reasonably expensive ice that you need to keep the runner out, but also you have you have no, like, long-term economy, so you have to yeah, draw the yeah. burst early, and just, the, yeah, the second was that you could never keep them out of your central, so you just had to, if you were actually trying to build a remote, that could, you ne- that could lead to a situation where you could at least score something by have, forcing them to run through with Caprice, and they, then they just ignored that and R&D locked you to death. And yeah. The deck, if you're playing, like, at all fair Netrunner, the deck is, like, really, really hard to beat. Uh, like, I think I said in my original write-up that I have no idea how to beat it on Netrunner TV because I couldn't remember the last time I'd lost. And back then, like, you put down Wizard people didn't know this was coming. Like, they thought this was, like, L4J and that I was going to be playing, like, Yogg and Ice Carver and, like, this kind of stuff. And so when people, when you play your, you know, fifth silverware, and they're like, what is this? <laughs> the games were so easy to win. And so that's not quite as true anymore, because now you put down Wizard and people assume it's this deck, not something else. It's still really... I'm obviously biased, but it's really unfair and really, really strong. I guess play Cerebral Imaging, because that's the counter. Yeah, I've seen a bit of that deck going around, but I still don't really understand anything about it. Yeah, you should learn about it, because it's the best Corp deck right now. <laughs> it's effectively, what, just just combo out seven points, or any combination thereof, yeah, as fast and, as possible. And now people are actually playing it so much that they're learning how to beat all of the things that were kind of hard to beat before. Like, they're learning how to beat Clot Sacrificial Construct and how to deal with Noise or and Leela in, like, the most efficient way. And now that, like, a ton of really good players are putting a lot of effort into that deck, it's terrifying. Um, and this wizard deck can't do anything against it at all. Um, you're completely helpless. So... I've gone back to noise because of that, but that's a different thing. <laughs> yeah, if you're struggling to beat this deck, the, a lot of it actually is in deck construction. Like, don't rely on asset economy. Uh, 
play the correct ice. Like, there's only... There's very few ice that trade favorably against this deck. Like, put three assassins in your deck, because that's that's the best ice um, against this, because of how well it deals with Faust. And yeah, they have David, but if you're doing the right thing and always resing it when there's something in front of it, you can still make things really awkward for them. Yeah, play three assassins. <laughs> and but I mean that's hard. Now I'm telling you I'm telling you to play three of a seven cost ice that doesn't end the run, and I'm telling you to play no acid economy. It's kind of like good luck. I mean, how are yeah. you gonna pay for this stuff? I think the in these Ben Bloom games where he's playing Blue Sun, he was making like forty credits off of Adonis campaign, even in the games that he lost. And when he lost it would all be gone. You need that kind of crazy economy engine to pay for all the ice you need to hold up to this thing. CI beats this, and food coats that's teched for this, or blue sun, can be slightly favored if the pilot's very good. But otherwise, if you're losing, it's probably not your fault. I mean, it might be a little bit, but you're probably meant to lose, because it's really, really powerful. Trigger ABTs is what I've been told. Yeah, oh, do that, yeah, make the variance play. <laughs> Firing ABTs is pretty good. There's things you can do to try to trick them into into bad runs. I was trying to do that for a while, to like make them pay for ice more than once. But you have to like trick them several times for it to start to add up and like really make them fall behind. And tricking people into bad runs often involves running a lot of cards with little trash cans on them, which is not where you want to be against Wizard. Uh, oh, somebody um, asked me, I asked anybody if there was things they wanted me to discuss about the deck. Someone asked me about including E3 feedback implants. Oh, yeah. Because a lot of, a lot of people are doing that to help with, like, Assassin and Orion and Ichi and, like, all the ice I named that's good against this deck. E3 is really good against it. I think that in those matchups, E3 is pretty good when you draw it and a lot of money. But I think if you find yourself needing E3, you should first modify how you're piloting the deck. Because I don't think you need it. And I think taking out, people are saying, take out a Parasite and a Career Fair. Like, those are substantial cuts, like, of very good cards for a, a one-of card that you can't search for. And that even when you draw, you also need a lot of money to use. So I think follow my advice first of running early in the turn, and you might find, and like be prepared for these problematic ice, and you might find you don't need the tech card to deal with them. And maybe I'm totally wrong, and maybe E3 makes the deck completely broken, but it's just to influence one of card you can't search for. I don't know. I don't really get it. I don't think it's like a consistent solution to a problem that you can deal with just by altering your play. Um, while we're on the topic of random cards, our mm -hmm. uh, friend and future panelist Connor uh, asks about Lamprey and Vamp. He thinks that those kind of things, mm -hmm. I'm talking mm -hmm. to him right now, he says that he thinks that those kind of things are gas um, <laughs> and that being able to pressure the corpse economy directly helps with your game plan or something? I'll ask him. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people suggest vamp. I don't really get it. Because, yeah, I don't I don't know why... Like, I don't know what that card is doing for you. To me, vamp 
is a card that you play when you don't want the corporation to be able to res things because you don't have great answers to the things that they're going to res. Whether that's like Caprice or like some nasty ice. And this deck has great answers to all of those things. <laughs> I mean, so like there's merit always in putting like one surprise vamp in your Anarch deck and it can win you games when you draw it at the right time. I don't I like having like a consistent plan. And Lamprey is incredible in a deck like this, but I think it's kind of win more. The best players know to protect HQ well against this deck. Um, in fact, I would say that when I'm playing this deck at my best, and this probably surprises people, I get more than half of the points I score off of HQ single access. So I feel like when I'm able to get into HQ at low cost, those are the games I'm already winning. Um, and Lamprey is kind of just... Um, locking those games down even more. I think if you want to do that kind of play, where you're like tunneling into HQ and then locking them out of the game, you should just play Noise, which is really similar to this deck, but um, unravels their board state in a different way and does the whole Lamprey thing. Um, Lamprey is kind of like small ball for this deck, too, because you get into a lot of these games where you both have like 30 credits <laughs> when you're both playing well, and then it's kind of like, can they use their 30 credits to score out before you use yours to blow up all of their installed cards? Uh, and, like, Lamprey isn't really helping you in that game. Um, and then just all of the cards in the deck are so good, it's hard to, like, take any of them out. You can take out your Plascrete or your third data sucker, but then where, like, where else do you go? Um, like, nothing is really cuttable, to me at least. Right. Um, yeah, it does make sense that... I, I know we've talked about this before, but Anarch really just does have so many good cards, eh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was just complaining about how many good cards Anarch has. Mm-hmm. It's nuts. It's pretty It's pretty significant. I think that uh, this deck, I think I also, in the original write-ups, call it the runner advantage incarnate. <laughs> because if you're 100% laser-focused on beating this deck you can get your, like, and you're not playing CI, you can get your, like, 55% matchup and then lose horribly <laughs> to every other deck <laughs> that's reasonable. Uh, uh, one card that's really good against this deck is uh, Biotic Labor because it lets you finish the game even if you have no installed cards, which is pretty nice when their entire game plan is about blowing up your board. Uh, the deck, like, if you're going to put three Biotic Labors in your HP deck... Good luck against Shaper, where that card is not very good. Uh, so, and then people's Ice Suites. Like, I played against that same Blue Sun deck that same night with uh, Stealth Andy, which is, like, another deck I've been playing a lot lately. And I think he conceded when I had zero points. <laughs> like, I had the Stealth Rig out and was just, none of this ice does anything anymore. Why do I have two Orions? I don't know. <laughs> Why do I have one curtain wall, the only ice in the deck that makes you pay any money? Uh, and so, like, if you... You can fight so hard to be good against this deck, still lose to it almost half the time, and never beat anything else. Um, and if you just forget about it, then 
people who even aren't very good at piloting it will just beat you easily. So it's it's a hard time to be a corp. <laughs> Um, so I, I recently I recently played in the Sword Champ. Why I ended up actually playing a variation of this deck that, uh, as you discussed, had E three had Vamp. Um, both of those cards were incredibly useful during you know, my matches. But the entire time while I was playing, I'm sure you've seen the list. They actually drop a I think they drop a cutlery or two, and they were definitely missed the entire day. And it drops a parasite. It was most definitely missed the entire day. It felt often that. I would have much rather, and maybe instead of the vamp, um, I would have much rather had just had the additional cutlery and just killed the ice instead. Yeah, uh, that seemed like it was going to be way more effective. Right, if you're playing E3 to, like, counter some ice they have, wouldn't you rather play a different card that costs two that just kills it? Exactly. The, I think the one thing that I did encounter during the day, and it was, it was the gentleman uh, that ended up winning that sort of championship, um... So he, instead of the, he was playing a centered food coats list, but what he had done was, is he sort of saw ahead of that meta. Um, as you said before, an often thing that happens is, you encounter that first assassin. Well, the understanding is, just take the, just, just take the damn traces. Um, therefore, you didn't break, the, break it as a sentry, and then mm-hmm. as you encounter the next sentry, you can move, you know, that is the one that gets killed. And then the subsequent assassins, if you need to, can also be killed if, if the cards permit. Um, he had actually completely removed Assassin out of his deck and instead had swapped him out completely for Vikrams. Right. Um, in that particular matchup, it was a scenario where E3 tend- actually was beneficial there. However, yeah. I know not everyone's making that swap. Yeah, e- e- that Vikram is a card that makes E3 like more worth it, I think. Um, but if you're running click one, <laughs> yeah, it's about Vikram. Uh, right. That card only kind of gets you when they get you in this horrible spot where you're forced to discard cards for it. Uh, then yeah. it's really, really nasty. Uh, but if you can, um, like, click, you run click one, they res it, you click one trace, you pay for the other trace, then you play David and fork it, um, then you're okay. Uh, and part of why I say that I win, like, on HQ single access a lot is because you make plays like that. It's like, the corp does a thing, and then it costs them a lot, but then you do a thing that costs you a lot, and you both kind of didn't get anywhere. Um, but their hand, like, fills up with agendas while this happens. And that's, like, where you eventually win. So, like I've said bef- to some people, Anarch doesn't need HQ pressure, because their HQ pressure is forcing the corp to spend time doing things that aren't getting agendas out of HQ. Uh, which is, yeah, I guess why you don't need the vamp. Or lamprey. E3, though, is, I mean, it's okay. Like, if the people are playing, like, three Vikrams in their HP deck, um, then I wouldn't fault somebody for putting it in. I just think it would take a very distorted meta before I thought it was worth it. And at that point, I would ma- that's when you switch to Stealth Andy and have 100% against every deck. 100%. Yeah, like, if, if the ice spreads people are playing are so hostile to this deck that I want to change it, I would maybe just play a different deck. Um, like, this deck isn't so good that you have to play a variation of it. Um, it's so good because to beat it you have to auto-lose to some other decks. So if people are making that choice, just go play those other decks and beat them. And are you currently playing CI? Me? Oh, God, no. Never. 
that's an insult <laughs> to my character. <laughs> I'm playing I'm playing noise so that people will stop playing CI. It makes me so sad. Um I'm literally like floundering as corp right now. Um it's it's really tough. Because for ages my corp deck that I played at the this store championship was my um it was a variation of my old making news glacier deck that I used to play for a long time. And it was in any H deck with no biotics. Um, I took those out for two Eli's, an Ichi, and an Ash. It only had two Sand Sands. It has an Interns, three Toll Booths, tons of Acid Economy, and product placements. And you just trick people into running through Toll Booths for random garbage over and over again, and then you win. And it's really bad <laughs> against this deck uh, because you can't get enough money to res any of your stuff. Because the idea of that deck was you play this Acid Economy and you either, it either powers you into this situation where you can kind of never advance trick them out of the game, and if they make one mistake, you win. Um, and, but if they trash it, then you can just put down Enigma Astro and win the normal way. So that just doesn't work anymore, and so now I don't really know what to do. <laughs> I'm trying, like, super fast NEH with, like, three shipments... I'm trying, like, a Palana deck with Operation Economy, but it's all kind of bad. CI is the only good deck, I think. Well, that was very interesting. Uh, okay, so thanks for listening to episode 77 of The Winning Agenda. If you want to get in contact with us, you can email us at the winning, is it the winning Agenda or just Winning Agenda? <laughs> We're such noobs. Oh, my God. How do we not know our own email? No, because one is like the, uh, you know... Okay, email us at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. You can like our Facebook page, which is The Winning Agenda, or you can uh, tweet at us at Winning Agenda. Um... Thanks for being with us today, Abram. Yeah, it was great. I always like just talking about this deck forever. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, and I hope our listeners took something useful out of it, even if you're not planning to play this deck. There's no doubt that when you go to a tournament, you're going to have to play against it. Okay, uh, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening, and see you next week. See you guys.